The object of Africa Investor Stories is to allow real investors from around the world share their experience of investing in Africa. So sit back and enjoy. Morning, morning, morning. Yes, we're back with another episode of Africa Investor Stories. Today we have a guy. He's all the, it's a bit unusual before I start because normally I introduce a foreigner who's invested in Africa. Today we're introducing Africa, African, sorry, who's invested in his own, but he's also lived abroad. So there's a little, little angle there. But just to introduce him, he started off when he's very young selling lollipops. And then he was given, and he started a business from that. Don't laugh because I started off renting out root, uh, rubbers and pencils. So I understand where he's coming from. Uh, uh, right the seaside, he's, um, he's been to attended UN model conferences, which have given him the inspiration. And then he said his, his actual words are, he's married to, and, to his improvisation. Um, he's also done, he's organized summits for Egypt where he actually got uh, fund, funding from directors of Microsoft, HP, Google, and many more. So he's, he's somewhat, he's going places. He's a heavyweight in this respect. Okay, he's got a degree, he's got a bachelor, of, um, bachelor a degree from the International Business School. He's also got a, a MA or MSc. MSc. Yeah, depending on what country you come from and how they see it. Yeah, in um, the school, from the School of Oriental and Africa Studies. Um, he's with his sweetheart, who's been with for 10 years, the ladies he's taken, sorry about that. And he's got a lovely baby boy, he's two months old. Um, That's right. He's officially started his businesses in 2019, but obviously he's got a whole history of getting to that point. So without further ado, we'd like to introduce you. So welcome, 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 welcome. Thank you very much. Awesome. That was a long rap sheet, man. <laughs> well, it's okay, Mark. It's okay, Mark. So Mark, tell us a bit about yourself. I know I've just introduced you, but um, let's start from sure. the beginning. What was all the long uh, about? Tell us about <laughs> A bit about myself. Um, first of all, lollipops was enterprise it was hustling on campus just because i could um i lived in uganda for a little over 10 years um, i moved there in 2006 with my parents and i don't know it was sort of just habit that you know you come to school and you've got something that everyone wants I guess other listeners would hear like chewing gum or something, right? Or a bag of chips. You open it up in the classroom and you end up giving away half of it. So we just decided like, why don't we uh, sell these instead? You know, come with a whole bag of lollipops, hide them in a backpack and literally mark them up so much because they're rare and people start being seen around the lollipops and wondering where they came from. They're the nice ones, you know, they're like big bomb with, with gum inside them. <laughs> a hot commodity. So we sold them and, sorry? No, go on, go on, sorry. Yeah, so we sold them and we realized that we were making a lot of money out of this. You sell one bag and you've made enough profit to buy two more and just keep it going. You know, the bag will run out in a matter of minutes at lunch break or one of the breaks between classes. 
And we ended up deciding to purpose that fundraising to something. Um, at the time, my buddies and I were into electronic music and dance music. And uh, we looked up to all the big music festivals like Tomorrowland and stuff. You know, we were still too young to go, but we wanted to emulate that. So we learned how to DJ and we were just having fun with that on our computers. We decided to start hosting our own parties. I actually went to my mom uh, and told her, look, I've raised, you know, X amount of money from selling lollipops. Would you match that money, please? Um, and I'm going to throw a party and I'll pay you right back as soon as I'm done with it. And I'll continue. That's exactly what we did. My, my parents gave me the money. They matched what I had raised with my friends. And I gave them the money right back as soon as I sold the tickets. I missed that party, by the way, our first event. It was called First Class um because my grandmother had died it's a long story but in my absence we hosted this huge success and we decided to make a company out of it uh insanity events uganda my first failed business (laughs) so uh, (laughs) we we threw parties and it actually blew up we ended up being invited to host club nights even though we were not 18 years old we were high school students we ended up being you know asked to to manage events for adult groups and sort of made a name for ourselves in the city for a short while and it was good fun. Okay, I like that. So what I'm hearing from that story is a bit of smuggling, bit of, <laughs> yeah, and then we've got the niche market, which is obviously the, the kids or the teenagers. We've got marketing. Yeah, you know, you've got the big, colorful, attractive lollipops that everybody wants. And then you've got, which really impressed me, which is money raising. Um, getting investors, which is your mum, and then making it all work and growing it into something much major. major. So you're just moving and moving and moving up and up and up. So that's great. That's great. So obviously we spoke a bit about that. Talk about the education. I see you, you know, you've got your MSc and your your degree. Yeah. How was was that for you? And why did you choose the subjects you chose? So, you know, I think it starts with the the primary and secondary schooling I had. Uh, being in international schools the whole way through, American international school of this country, then this country, and that country. And by the time I got to the end of that, it was all uh, international focused. We, we, we always, you know, were in classrooms with people from all over the world and um, there was just an interest to go beyond what was immediately available to us. Um, being in the middle of Africa or something and having a sort of prestige or desire to go out there to like top schools. And we had the grades for it. Our families were able to afford it. So it turned into sort of where in the world would I want to go as soon as I'm done with this high school? Um and for as long as I could remember, I knew I wanted to study business for sure. Uh, I was into entrepreneurship, but I thought I would study management. Um, I think it had a lot to do as well with one of my favorite teachers at the end of high school and um, also finance. And I was into economics too, but I thought I'll go to business school and afterwards, I'll get a master's degree. 
this is when I was in maybe year nine or year 10 that I had determined or decided for myself, that is what I want to do. Um, I'm, I'm a man of faith as well. And sometimes you get prophetic words or you wake up and you really feel this urge that that's what's going to happen. And if you asked me at that age where I would go, I just said, I would, I will study business in London. And afterwards I'll do a master's in an economics field. And that's exactly what happened. I, I did my applications. I uh, got some interesting offers at the end of high school, but I applied to Hult International Business School sort of as a last uh, fail safe when I finished my exams, just because the applications were open and I got cold feet or I was nervous that my high school exams weren't going to be so good, that I had underperformed uh, according to the expectations. So I just started an application on the website of this, this new business school then. Um, before I even finished my application, I went out for a break and I received a phone call from these guys and they said, look, the, the information you filled in is stellar. Uh, if you actually earn the grades that you've been predicted, we're prepared to give you, you know, one year of credits off. It's a four-year business school. You could skip your first year. We're prepared to give you an academic excellence scholarship. And the reduction on the fees, mind you, this is an American business school with a campus in London, and American uni fees are ridiculous. Yeah, like 100,000, yeah. Yeah, it adds up. So they had reduced it so significantly. For me, it became a no-brainer. I am going to cancel the whole UCAS thing, and uh, no school has recognized my, my profile as well as this business school has. So that's where I'm going. And I, I let my family know that, and that's what happened. So I joined HALT in 2014, came to London. Um, I spent three years in that business school, and it was life-changing. It's, it's where... The, sorry, just to jump in there. What were the significant things that you've learned in that business school? Because you seem like you have a very entrepreneurial spirit already. You're, you're, like I, I mentioned, what, five or six things there which you did which are key to business, so... Yes. Well, the first thing I could say is I learned, for myself at least, that entrepreneurship is not something you, you study. I don't believe it's something you study. I mean, I went to a business school where entrepreneurship was one of four main disciplines entrepreneurship management finance and uh, accounting but uh, marketing excuse me but you, you can study it but I think entrepreneurship is more of a it's an energy it's a kind of person it's a it's a drive you don't have to go to business school to be an entrepreneur so I think when you're going to go and study you need to do something that's going to help you sharpen yourself when it comes to running your business or identifying where value is and how to bring the most value out of things. That's, for me, easier to find in a field of study like finance, where because of the courses I took in that school, I was able to learn what a good investment looks like, for example, um, in terms of numbers and, and projections and performance management and you know the accounting principles then you go to management itself and you realize 
what leadership is and how to work with people and how to resolve conflicts and identify risks. And there's so many different aspects to business that it, it, it will benefit you to go and learn. So that sort of morphed my entire approach to how I work and how I do relationships outside of work as well. So I thought that was really a molding environment to be in. Uh, the school, the school Sorry, also. Just jump in there. So I know you're explaining, but I, I want to just dive in at times. Um, those skills that you've learned, would you say that they're skills? You th- oh, I know you said you've learned them from uni, but oh, there's a difference between business and entrepreneurship. Mm. So, where would you say the line is that? you just go out there and try it like you did with your lollipops and it grew to where you sit down humbly and say, I don't know, I need to know, teach me. I think that is literally the line. You, you're either doing trial and error because you had an idea, excuse me, or you recognize that you don't know everything um, and I'm not saying one approach is better than the other. There are people who have done exactly that trial and error and become the, the most successful, you know, businessmen and women of, of our age. But at the same time, there are people who um, are willing to identify or or agree that there are things they don't know um, and that they can get educated or they want to be in an, in an environment where they can cultivate um those kind of skills so when you go to study these things i think that's the line exactly that's you saying well i i know i could do trial and error i maybe have even tried trial and error but i want to be in an environment where i am open to ideas to to learning not just theory but really understanding what principles I could take and apply to my real life experience, to my trial and error. And it helps to have that trial and error behind you before you go into that environment or else it's just, it's fiction, you know? You need to go in there and have an idea of what it's really like out there. Um, And you need to realize that you're learning things that you can apply. You're going there to gain knowledge so that you can apply it. if you don't go there to gain the knowledge, then you do your trial and error until you get it right. And uh, I think a combination of both is crucial. So it's not just to divide them from each other. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Well, um, you mentioned conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. Me being an ex-military man, that fascinates me. Um, I think you used, you coined the term slightly different, um, where in business you have an issue and you need to resolve it. Can you give us an example of how you would, what they taught you, that how you would deal with that? Well, it depends what kind of conflict we speak about. If it's, if it's interpersonal versus like strategic, for example, uh, there are different frameworks that really, really escaped me, <laughs> honestly. And that's another thing I need to mention. You go to school and learn these theories and these models and you know, the four R's of risk management or whatever it is. And uh, sure, they're, they're cool, but really you just need to learn what they mean. So, and, and in, interpret that so that you can use it for yourself. So when it's interpersonal, for example, and it's more of a leadership problem, 
I've got an example where, and it's interesting, I got to apply something from the classroom into something outside of the classroom, albeit within the structure of the business school is when I was the president of our management consulting club. I did that for two years. And on the second year, I had brought in a buddy of mine uh, who was very, very driven in the entrepreneurship concentration. And we had an objection as a club to serve startups, more startups as clients for the consultancy uh, for the year. We wanted to see how that would work. And startups from within the school's community or, you know, all these new tech guys and I asked him to come on as my vice president, no elections, no nothing, just to have that kind of new blood and, and see what kind of club strategy we could devise around that. And he started to feel very important. And he was, you know, the club became a huge success. We, we filled out rooms like this and, uh, you know, to have an entire student body so engaged in one society is, is rare in, in, in that community. And it was really good at first, but he started to become overbearing, over overimposing, not just on myself as the president, but also on our board. And, you know, we had a board of 10 students, all people who had been there before him, and um, even people who became members of our community, of our society. And he really started to step on toes and it became a huge uh, HR crisis, if you will, where there are countless reports against him and almost as if he was, you know, uh, abusive to people. And this is what I mean when you learn something in class because you learn about the different management styles, right? Where one person is very authentic and another is, autocratic or authoritative, uh, him being authoritative. Um, and you learn that he is driven by performance and confronting people and uh, public dissent and coming down on you in front of groups. And um, you, have to find, you have to find ways to manage that personality, but at the same time to protect the, the interest of everybody in the group. So we've got this board who one day came to a meeting and my vice president finds me in the bathroom before we go in. He tells me, Mark, today we're going to do a purge. And I said, what do you mean by a purge? And he said, I'm going to squeeze out the bad juice. And I said, man, this is my meeting. Um, I've got a board here. We've got things to do today. Please don't do whatever you think you're about to do. And we go in there and out, the blue, out of the blue, he just starts, he points across the table to one of the board members and says, hey, uh, in the last three months, what have you done? What have you done? Show us the results. And it turned into a very aggressive, nasty confrontation. And he just started going around, you know, challenging people. That's Suddenly I had... Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, that is. He's been reading a lot of books and he's been trying to, you know, he resonates with that leadership style and that's what he wants to do. But it didn't work for this group because they'd been working with me before and my leadership style is very different. And they didn't like that. So collectively, I had about seven board members quit on the spot because of him. Uh, they stood up together and walked out. 
And very quickly, I had to figure out what I was going to do uh, because to lose your board right off the bat, uh, it really means you've decided that this one person is more important than the entire group. Mm-hmm. And how, what are you communicating and how do you intervene? So there was a big lesson there, you know, having to turn that around, having to prioritize, having to cut out the nonsense um acting quickly uh, you know managing interpersonal relationships protecting the rights of people um harassment policies and all these different things to the point that this gentleman had to you know be removed from his position and it saved the club all of these people came back uh the society goes on to win you know most professional and best society of the year and close amazing consultancies and you just realize the dynamics of team play and all of what, this what did you learn from that well there's a few things the first one is you know you can't sacrifice an entire team that works uh, for one person you know people have a role to play and even if somebody one person brings a lot of value to your business if that person is insubordinate or uh, believes that they are more important than anybody else in that team and is willing and able to demonstrate that with no remorse, you really cannot have that. It, it becomes a cancer for your team. So the team's energy and the balance of energy is crucial. I think first and foremost, people need to feel comfortable in your organization so i really learned that uh and and you know you don't have to learn that in the classroom i also played first team football you learn to play your position and trust your teammates and there's so many you learn that you can you can you can find these morals all over the place not just a textbook i think that's the biggest learning curve for me as well you don't need to go to school for that even if it was great for me, even if I learned it out of a leadership book or um, did case studies where somebody had to act in the same way that I did and, and the results were good. Uh, you learn that it's in you, it's out there in your day-to-day and you can, you can learn them and you can Im- implement them. Would you say he was the right person for the job though at the start? Absolutely. We blew up. We, you know, we were an undergraduate campus. By the end, we had postgrads as part of the community. The first time that was ever done. Um, 150 new members, uh, closed the consultancy for Virgin Money, uh, rubbed shoulders with, you know, top leaders in the business community in London. A co-founder of the Shazam Music app became our really good friend. All through this guy's work, you know, it was just, Right guy for the for the job because we got the job done, but wrong person for the team, and what? you have to decide at what point uh, it's not worth it anymore. What I'm getting, what I'm trying to get at, or I'm feeling, is that sometimes, you know, you look at what we you did wrong personally, so you've hired the right guy for the team, but it's like. There's maybe we should have briefed him better. Maybe we should have put a bit of a harm. You know, like like you've got a, a Rottweiler, a pit bull. You, you you don't give him too much play. You restrict him. Yeah. And then you can always put it in. Do you see what I'm saying? 
Is this something that, I, I'm, I'm kind of learning off what you're saying there, thinking how I would have handled that in that respect. It's very I've true. Your point of view. And, and you have to decide as well. Well, that was a buddy of mine before this all happened. We were friends. Still are. We became closer over, over the experience because, yes, he got withdrawn from the community and um, it was very tense. But you realize that somebody has personal development to do. It's not normal. Uh, you know, to behave like that in a group dynamic. And I care about your growth. So with the support of the school, you know, um, it's not like we just ditched him. We got him actual counseling and stuff, you know, it was a part of the aftermath. We will help you get better and be conscious of why this has happened. And, you know, so, so it's also important to help people self-actualize. I think that's, that's a huge part of fulfilling work, uh, fulfilling business, you know, groups. And uh, it's not just the, the bottom line. It's not just how much profit you make or uh, how many deals, for me at least. It's very important to make lives better along the way. And if you could do it for everybody, great. If you can't and no one wants to, and people don't want to go there with you, don't waste your energy either, I think. Okay, that's that's really good. So moving along, you've got your company now, Vertex Ecosystem. Tell us about why you came up with the company and what the objective of the company is. Funny enough, <laughs> the same guy who uh, I just talked about as my vice president, when he got better, uh, I had actually graduated now, and he was an, a, a year below me, so he was a senior. Um, I'd gone on to do some work experience in the private equity space and also the conference in Egypt that you mentioned in your introduction was, was very high key, uh, working with governments, ministers from you know over 30 different countries in the Middle East and North Africa region, bringing them all down to, to Egypt for a conference on digital inclusion um, and education very, very uh, advanced, you know, for my age and my level of experience. It, it skyrocketed me into this new universe where all the theory, all the all the practice I had done became very real very quickly. And I was brought onto that project as a consultant. It was more help us raise capital by selling sponsorship packages to our target corporates who we already have a relationship with, um, help us complete the invitation and, you know, ticket securing with the ministers from all these different countries. I, I'm originally from the DRC, so I do speak French as well. So calling the Moroccos and Djibouti, which is a random, you know, all these countries that speak French getting the and no one on the team did speak French so that, that fell on me and managing all those relationships it just consolidated a lot of things into one professional direction for me and when I returned from that conference summit this this previous vice president of mine was trying to do right and make right in the community before he left so we came together and we said, you know, outside of the clubs and society space, we still have this amazing network that we put together during our time at the consulting club. I mentioned Shazam and Virgin Money and all these crazy startups who are promising, who are now friends of ours and trust us and see us as good consultants. 
what happens if we create a platform where with the help of the business school, all of these stakeholders, whether you're a startup or a mentor or a CEO in London uh, can come together at the same time, we bring in investors and we create a space where people with ideas, students or, or anybody really who has that sort of entrepreneurial knack can share those ideas receive mentorship and preparation to bring the idea to fruition at first it sounded very vague uh, we i remember my my co-founder at the time actually asking me to manage the relations with the business school because of the fallout with the consulting club it wasn't great for him so that was originally why i came in to be a, a relations manager and i ended up speaking to the president of halt and presenting him with this uh, idea for a platform first we had to go back to the drawing board and it turned into a summit uh, the idea and, and how to manage these are still fresh in my mind and I said if we do an event and you give us your campus for two days uh, open your book for us help us do the networking and, and all of that I, I am certain that we will boost your brand's image as the the location where these ideas can can spread can emanate was our word and turn into real, you know, fruitful business relationships. So we ended up planning the summit. Uh, we hosted it in November of 2018. And it was a huge success, you know, 30 plus guest speakers, um, 10 different panels, Barclays, Ernst & Young, um, I don't know, just amazing brands and names, Burberry. According to the different disciplines in business, if you want to do marketing and get help with your marketing for your startup, go to the workshop by so-and-so. And it was just very, very engaging. And we also matched that whole agenda of guest speakers and panels with a startup's pitching competition, where we had about 20 startups enter, all compete against each other for a space in an accelerator program. And it turned into, you know, this huge success. Startups went in and um, it looked good. It looked good. In fact, the business school called us in after and said, you know, that was great. Would you like to host your next one at our campus in Boston? Because I have a new campus there. And that was really exciting for us. But we respectfully declined the offer. And we said, we'd like to prove that we've learned something from this. Uh, and repeat the event successfully first and grow the community. So we all thought we'd stick around for another year. Mind you, I'd already graduated. I was already a year out. Uh, my buddies were all finishing their business school and no one's from London in that, in that business school. So people had to go separate ways and it wasn't really a sustainable plan. We ended up falling apart as a team. Uh, but for those who did stick around, we came up with an idea to keep the momentum going. You do a summit once a year, but how do you engage your audience between that time? Originally, our company was called Vertex Summit. We had to do a rebrand, though. And by the way, Vertex in mathematics is where uh, two lines intersect. So that meant, you know, the, the, the young, driven creatives or people with ideas intersecting with those who have the resources to uplift them. Right? That was the, the idea. So we kept the Vertex idea, but we said to keep an audience engaged, we're going to come up with 
uh, a few cluster projects that can go between the two summits, the, the annual summits. We came up with the Explore series, which was specialized workshops for one particular business discipline at a time. We hosted our first successful one at WeWork, struck a great deal to host there. Um, we had a senior marketing executive from Google uh, lead a panel with you know three other very successful marketing agencies uh, and the panel was the workshop was all about branding like a digital marketing agency and we had startups apply for tickets specifically ones who were at a an impasse as far as marketing strategy in their startups and they come ready to you know use her solutions in their startups very cool stuff we also ran the explore series on a licensed basis, kind of like TED, TEDx, you know, uh, the TED Talks, allow an institution to buy a license from us. And we will, in the back end, you know, help them brand the whole event. Uh, we will help them secure speakers who are now in our book as members of, of the Vertex. And, you know, we started to just experiment with these different models. Eventually, we had all these small projects that we want to keep on going we now call them the pillars of vertex and that's when we determined that this is now an ecosystem there are different parts that work together to strengthen the whole community um, and and really keep it alive um, so the summit did stay annual but in 2019 for the second summit i ended up going down to Nairobi and hosting it over there in Kenya. Uh, it was a very interesting st uh, startup community down there. Yeah. And it turned into, it turned into a, um, a huge success. The startups who won our competition, of the startups who won, there was one called Asilimia who went into an accelerator through us and raised 250k within three months or something and that was the first big win for us we said oh my goodness that's it now now we're kind of credible we can do this um we what are really an for his eye. What was that first so time? the startup is actually I, <laughs> the startup is actually a um it's a it's a fintech platform in kenya you might know that in in africa now with the rise of mobile technology people are really starting to find platforms whereby they can transfer funds, uh, funds, tr funds transfer payments, so mobile payments from well, one M another. M-Pesa is a huge one. And I would love to talk about that if we have time. I, I've researched that so profoundly in my master's degree. And, um, so Asilimia just has their own unique solution for it. Uh, it's, it's a bit out of my mind right now. It's, it, they have their own, you know, USPs and it just ended up being a very, at the time it was advanced compared to the other startups in our competition. They had done their market validation, their MVP had rolled out, they had some data. They had taken it a little further than just an idea. And uh, that, you know, within a year of that, we were proud to share that they serviced over 1 million Kenyans. And it was just, it was huge, you know, they, they did a great job. So just, just yeah. to jump in there, obviously you going to Kenya to set up, what was that like? What was it, was there any difficulties? Was it easy? How was it? 
So uh, the reason I mentioned my first party back in high school uh, was hosted in my absence was because I grew a, an ability or a lack of fear rather to organize events and meeting in places where I'm not. Um, in fact, when we launched the Explore series with Veritech and we did those small workshops, I wasn't even in London when we hosted that Google workshop at WeWork. And when we planned this summit in Nairobi, I was in Johannesburg. I actually flew in to the country one or two nights before the summit itself, but we had done our sponsorships. We had confirmed our venue. I was able to get you know some friends who were on the ground to go check it out for me. The community was set. The partnerships were done. Technology is amazing, you know. So we we organized a lot of the agenda without physically being there. And we showed up for the summit itself, and um, and we did the competition online as well. These startups, you know, we went to different incubators, uh, accelerators, business schools in the city and. In the country, actually, we had startups drive down from Mombasa and, and you know all of that. We had them all do this online until we really had to get together. So yeah. it was it was a lot of commitment, but when we care and when it's so, mm -hmm. the formula is there. You know what to do already. You've tested it before. Um, it's fine. It was great. It was it was straightforward. It was good fun. It was exciting uh, it happened you know okay well last two questions first of all is what have you learned throughout this whole experience that you knew wish you knew when you started that's a good question man <laughs> uh hmm that that partnerships can be everything relationships can be everything i think when you when you start out you kind of spend so much time i mean i remember i've drawn up countless business plans where i've sat at a computer i've typed it out i've, I've researched templates online and i i created a product or an idea and you know i thought that's it now now let's get it to work and some people have golden ideas that never never get the recognition they deserve but some people don't have such great ideas and because of who they were able to rub shoulders with it became something massive and you know my my friend always says the graveyard is probably the most expensive place in the world and by that what he means is people die with those ideas in their minds and never get the chance to get the investment done you know so i thought through all of this, I realized, man, some people just have access and friends and um, platforms that are just open to them. You're allowed to share your idea and we're allowed to talk about this. And because of the relationship we have, I will show it to so-and-so and maybe I'll get you that meeting that you needed. And that is sort of the whole foundation of Vertex as well. It's that there are so many marginalized groups and that's why I took it to Africa. What am I going to do for my people? People who have these ideas, people who live and face the real problems of tomorrow, or they're the problems of today, but their solutions are the solutions of tomorrow. And they create informal business. They have all these answers to things that the rest of the world has never heard of. 
reverse innovation is starting to happen. And PES is a great example where because of their own informality, if somebody just allows them to keep doing it rather than to crack down, regulate, force them to conform, um, use formal banking system, get a fixed address, use cash um, in the bank, get credit, you know, all these different facilities that are actually quite Western. I think um, mm. they don't fit for our people. So what happens if you go to our people, work with them, let them do what they do and give them those relationships instead, uh, mm. you know, give them those, that network, what's going to happen? What do we achieve? And mm. I have this theory that you'll, you you'll get a lot you will you will enact the development of africa you know that's how i feel what i found from my time in africa also is that africans are very innovative with the little they have what we would throw away they can make it use for years and they're just very they're very they're very thing like that. right okay last question is what's the impact you want to have on the world I want to fix Africa. Is that a big statement to make? I, I think we've got, we've got a lot of gaps, a lot of misgivings that have resort, resulted in, you know, instability, poverty, underdevelopment, further marginalization, exclusion, uh, politically and economically. And I just have this this leading theory to vertex that says if you come with the entrepreneurial empowerment ecosystem like the vertex where your whole purpose is to give that kind of access to the people who are from there you will close those gaps because the way we've developed so far or attempted to has not served us and I've spent a lot of time studying why it doesn't serve us. Um, and what should be obvious as a problem seems to continue to be our solution. You know, top-down approaches, um, loans, foreign direct investment, um, international investment coming into the, 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 the continent, going through the hands of government and all these multilateral organizations, coming down through this, you know, highly structured approach that really hardly ever benefits the intended end user in the way that it should, whether it's an infrastructure solution, water, um, electricity, transportation systems, just the basics of infrastructure to start with. But after that, um, or along with that, things that are, you know, as you said, people are very innovative and they're innovative in almost every space of life, you know, not not just education or healthcare, um, but basic enterprise, consumerism. We have ideas, we have localized ideas, we have solutions that are for us that aren't being built up. I want to create a system that, or I intend for my ecosystem to be one that uh, exemplifies the the correct form of innovation for our continent. Well, thanks a lot for that. It's really good. I think we're going to have to have a part two because there's still a lot more energy, a lot more uh, stuff that you have to give. I can see that from the passion, from the way you speak. Where can people find you? and What social media is and where? Okay. Uh, start with Instagram. 
I would like for you guys to go check out Vertex Ecosystem. It is at Vertex Ecosystem. We are about to launch a new campaign actually for our impact series. So watch out for that. At the same time, you could find me. My name is Mark Watum. You might see it or, or I could spell it. It's M-A-R-C. Watum is W-A-T-U-M. And uh, try to connect with me if you want through Instagram. We could, you know, talk further. Or else just type that same name into LinkedIn. And in my bio, you'll find Vertex as well for LinkedIn. So check us out. Our website for Vertex is thevertex.org. So do check that out too. Thanks a lot for that. Much appreciated, Mark. Guys, his links will be in the episode or the bottom of the episode uh, once, you, once you're clicking in. So you'll be able to click on there, take you directly to him. We look forward to your next interview um, because we're definitely going to need one. You've got a lot of information, a lot of research. But just to let guys know or people know out there, if you do have an idea, I advise you to look him up, check him out, throw that idea his way. And he could be the man who makes you a millionaire and helps Africa. So keep on doing what you're doing, Mark. And we Thank wish you, you so well. Much. Thank you so much, guys. Ideas not just for Africa, even in London, we could do that, okay? So let's talk. I look forward to it, guys. Okay. I hope that episode enhanced your investing mindset. Remember to like, share and subscribe and follow. Feel free to contact us on the links below. We post an interview every Monday and a personal vlog every Thursday at 8am.